White Rocket Entertainment, podcast number 492. Welcome to Open Wheel, the White Rocket Formula One and IndyCar podcast. I'm your host, Van Allen Plexico, and I'm joined as always by my co-host, Alan J. Porter. Welcome back aboard, Alan. Thank you, Van. It's great to be back, and it's great that we've actually got some racing to talk about after so long. It seems a bit unreal, to be honest. We do, yeah. It's so cool. I mean, it's 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 odd. There haven't been audiences at all the races, but there have been some fans at some races. It's been kind of a mixed bag, hasn't it? Yeah, there's been uh, people in the stands at the last few, and I think we're going to see an increase in that. Um, but yeah, it's uh, it, it's good to actually have something to watch at the weekends. That's uh, <sighs> real racing and not uh, not computer generated racing. So. <laughs> no, I I, I it's funny. Or marbles. <laughs> or marbles. I'm telling you, I, the the first few weeks of the of the lockdown, right? I was just hungrily devouring the marble races and the. Um, and the e, the i races or e races or whatever they call the the basically the video game races, I was devouring them. And now I look back at those halcyon days of yesteryear, and I'm like, man, we got real racing. What do we need with the marbles and the <laughs> computer anymore? We got the real thing. And it just it's so good to have been able to watch a few races from Formula One, and to watch a few races from IndyCar, albeit with very scrambled schedules. Certainly, I mean, it hadn't been what we expected going in, but um. But I think the outcomes have been about what we might have predicted in, in, to some degree in both series, although there have been a few surprises. So that's what we're going to talk about tonight. And I guess we will start out talking about Formula One, and we'll do a little bit of it. And then we'll go over to IndyCar, our two favorite, uh, certainly for me, two favorite uh, types of racing. I know you also like that insane motorcycles going around in circles thing. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I do. <laughs> I, I, it, it frightens and confuses me like the, like the caveman lawyer, man. It's like, uh, but it is interesting. I give you that. So, uh, any other general thoughts before we kind of dig into Formula One? No, I don't think so. Um, like you said, it's, it's just been a strange season or a strange mm-hmm. half season because I guess technically we, as we are recording this, we are technically at the halfway point of the what looked like it was going to be a very truncated season, but now looks like it's going to be almost a full number of races but compacted into a very short time frame so. yeah they were well they were able that's one of the things i want to talk about is they were able to well let, let's let's take it from the top so so the covid19 pandemic obviously affected everything and they were all set to start like australia weren't they and they had to actually like yeah. pause the race and pause it and then they said you know what everybody go home so that was surreal to say the least and then we went quite a while with nothing but um, when they came back out with a new schedule that they've been sort of amending right on the fly, they've been kind of adding new races on until we've got all the way to December 13th. And I think, you know, you know, as you said, they were able to kind of catch up a little bit because we've had double races. So what has your thoughts been? That's one thing I want to ask you about really quickly up front is what has your thoughts been as somebody who's watched Formula One pretty much your whole life, having two races in the same place several times now, like, back-to-back weekends and all what what does that meant to you because i can't imagine you know to me this is just like the latest thing but you know to you it's got to be pretty weird it is pretty weird well the interesting thing is when they started up um 
they weren't sure how many because they only had like seven races confirmed when they started the champion started yeah. racing again so there was that weird thing of we actually didn't know how many races were going to make up the championship which mm. sort of affected the races and you know do you take chances because we don't know whether it's going to be 7 10 15 17 as it turns out how many races were actually going to make up the championship which was weird because you don't know what the end goal was so that that was pretty weird mm. um but as you said they actually started off with that double header in austria with the austrian grand prix one weekend and the styrian grand prix the next weekend um yeah it, it's been very interesting um the way they've done it because they i like the way let's take silverstone for example that they picked different tire compounds for different weekends yeah that was so weird so it sort of it, it made the races slightly different it wasn't like each i've noticed each time they've done it they haven't been a carbon copy of the race before and we'll get to this when we talk about indy but that's one of the problems i've had with the indy car mm-hmm. uh, double headers um the formula one ones they're like okay we're going to do two races at the same venue a week apart but we're going to try to do something each time to make them slightly different Mm-hmm. Um, which I've liked, and they they have they've turned out to be different. Even though they've been at the same venue, each of the races has been relatively different. Be that down to weather, tire compounds, or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and the other thing that I've really really liked is the fact that they were I both were, were they've introduced new tracks that had the right A1 FIA, FIA A1 grade certification certification, but had not been used before. But because they were like test tracks like Magello, which we just saw mm-hmm. last weekend. Um, great to see um you know f1 on a, a track that's a well-known motorcycle uh, racing track and has, has been a ferrari test track and stuff before really looking forward to them going back to places like uh, turkey which i missed from the calendar uh, and to a really classic circuit like imola so um i really like this mix of running the traditional circuits throwing in some new ones and going back to some of the classics. I've seen a few folks suggest that going forward, there should be a, quote, invitational circuit in each year, one or two races. So we have maybe your 2019 regular races Mm -hmm. and then throw in two ringers each year, which can either be a brand new track or return to a track that hasn't been used in a long time. Um, I like that idea um, of having a couple of new new tracks that nobody's been to before each season to sort of mix things up because you know the, the amount of data that these guys have about the circuits is insane um so i, I think it just throws a different ringer in uh, with different track layouts different track surfaces um different geography and stuff um so i i've really liked that part of it as well that it's actually made formula one start to think outside the box to use a horrible phrase um you know in terms of where can they run and there are numerous circuits around the world that you know f1 could run at but hasn't um in a long time or has never run at before but is up to the right grade and you know i've even heard talk of you know some of the tracks like donington in the uk you know what thinking about well if this is something that's going to happen what investment would we need to make to get ourselves back up um to do that where we could you know run one of these ad hoc races again so i'd like to see that i think it is starting to get people thinking about putting a bit more variety back on the f1 calendar um which i i really like you know um and you know we could lose sochi the russian race um i wouldn't <laughs> cry about that one no um <laughs> not a bit um so you know i i think it's got people rethinking about the calendar and about the places that we race um and i've been really surprised how well the double headers are at, at the same track of work the only one i've got i, I think is going to be interesting is uh dubai at the end of the year when 
we're using the regular course and then they're actually using the uh, they call it an oval but it's not really an oval it's sort of part of road course part of roval uh, uh, oval <laughs> when they call it a roval um, mm-hmm. around the outside of the circuit which I think they say is going to be Formula One's first sub one minute lap um, time hmm. so that's, that's going to be interesting I did see that diagram, and I'm like, whoa, for the first race, they're going to go like, you know, kind of like a U. They're going to go all the way on the outside and then in the inside like you normally would see. And then for the second race, they just kind of erased the inside part and connected the two tops of the U to make a box. pretty much. Yeah. like, whoa, (laughs) that's interesting. So uh, that's going to be interesting. Um, Mm. So, yeah, I think think it was a brave experiment, and I think it's worked very well. Um, I think they've done a great job with it. I think that they've really done the best they could do with the weird situation this year. They've made the best of it they could make. Yes. So that's cool. Yeah, and it has suggested some interesting things for the future that that I think, yeah, you're right. So let's uh, let's look at it. It is going to be interesting to be racing still in the middle of December, but um, just a few of the main things. Certainly Lewis Hamilton dominating probably more this year than ever is that let me ask you this and and botus is just not able to compete with him i've I've, i said in my notes that i think verstappen could compete with lewis except that they're having reliability issues that always seem to plague them where lewis has finished every race so i just want to ask you this before we kind of dig into the overall driver and team standings real quick is is lewis doing so well this year particularly since botus isn't isn't like close to him really is that sort of a, the mark of somebody who's that experienced and that confident and knows what they're doing in a weird year where everybody else is kind of thrown off a little bit like here's the example I always use every time the NFL has a strike season back in the day back in the 80s the Redskins would come out of nowhere and win the world win the Super Bowl meaning that they were like the most professional put-together organization. So when things got crazy, they were the ones that knew how to weather the storm better than anybody else, regardless of talent, right, regardless of anything else. They were just the best organization. So I'm wondering, is Mercedes and Lewis Hamilton particularly, is it just that he can thrive in a chaos situation that maybe has everybody else off a step? Um, I think it's a combination of a couple of things. Let's talk about Mercedes first. I think, I think one of the interesting things about Mercedes is I think they really innovated on two fronts. And then, um, one um, was the double ax, um, axis steering, which mm-hmm. just like came out of nowhere. Um, you know, the, the whole thing of if you pull on the steering wheel, it, the car toes in and toes out. Um, just really clever. Um, really helps in warming up the tires and, and the tire management. Um, so Silverstone aside, you know, they've really got on top of the tire management. I think that innovation helped even, you know, and even though they knew it was going to be illegal from next year onwards, they, they've kept with it. So um, keeping improvements. So I think there's continuous innovation um, on that side of it with Mercedes. The other side of it is sort of, a, I think, is partly a, an unintended consequence of Ferrari's shenanigans last year because Ferrari had such a good engine last year for mm-hmm. reasons we'll get into probably later on. Um, that Mercedes were like, well, we've got to really push our engine game forward to get beat Ferrari. And then, of course, Ferrari turned out that they had a trick engine and were maybe doing things they shouldn't have done and are now horribly slow. So instead of Mercedes being 10% ahead, they're now like 20% ahead because they were innovating against something that was actually to beat something that turned out to be illegal. So mm-hmm. do you follow my reasoning? So yeah. That yeah. percentage increase sort of... A, was was greater than they thought it would be, um, so I, you know I think the team has uh, has continued to innovate. They're obviously the, probably the most meticulously uh, organised uh, team out there. Um, 
So that always brings the dividends. The thing with Lewis is, I think Lewis is on a, isn't a, I, you're right with Lewis versus Botas. I think he has completely broken Botas already. Botas yeah. already. Um, yeah. I think Valerie's given, given up. Um, we see occasional flashes of him, but again, you know, when it gets into a race situation, He's just not there. Lewis, Lewis continues to be a consummate racer and the consummate professional. I think if you just look at um, you know, the, the last two races in Italy, in Monza and San Marino for different... Um, San Marino. Uh, Monza and uh, Mugello for two different reasons. You know, Monza, um, you know, Mercedes showed they have chinks in the armor. They made a mistake and they pitted Lewis illegally. Mm-hmm. Um, and he ended up at the back, you know, he... You know, he, he they accepted it. He took his penalty, and he ended up coming out twenty seconds behind everybody. I mean, everybody tw- twenty seconds between him and the back of the pack. Yeah, um, and he raced his way up to seventh. <laughs> it's crazy. So, and technically, but Botas was in the same car, and I know he said he had some damage at the start, but he was complaining from the start. He was stuck in third place. He was never really an issue, and, you know. It, yet Lewis was able to take the same car. And come from 20 seconds off the back all the way up into the points. Um, and you mentioned about him being, um, you know, consistent and always finishing and finishing high in the points. You know, I, I looked it up. Um, the last time Lewis finished a race outside the points, you know, i.e. he didn't break down or, or whatever. Mm. He actually finished a race and was outside the points. was back in 2013. That's insane. 2013. So, Good Lord. Yeah. So for seven years, he has been constantly, in, you know, if he finishes a race, he's in the points. Yes. Um, which is, in, yeah, like you said, is absolutely insane and unheard of, which is why he's just, you know, come off, I think, that 135 races streak in the points now. And um, well, yeah. 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 And that's, I was going to say is that uh, my little tidbit on that was that he's the only driver this season to finish in the top 10 in the points every race this season but here's yeah, an well, int- so it's a, a seventh a fourth a second and every other finish was first but here's the thing that's interesting too max verstappen in every race he's been able to finish has finished no lower than third right yeah 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 that's interesting so he's, he's another one um you know <coughs> that if he finishes is consistent and in the points um but i, I want to go back to the lewis thing i, I think one of the things that really opened um people's eyes was um at um Magello, um last weekend you know when we when they got there it was a new track lewis said he found it physically draining um difficult because it, it it was it was like 5g sustained 5g corners but he, he he said right on the friday night i i you know um he was slower than botes on friday he said on the friday evening I, i'm not really getting to grips with this circuit i can't quite figure it out botes was quicker on practice um on saturday um lewis basically said he went back to the hotel and studied hmm. come sunday and qualifying you know botas is fa- fastest in all three practices gets to qualifying boom lewis lewis puts it on pole because <laughs> he went back to the hotel and studied yeah you know um so you know I, I i think you know yes he's he's got immense natural talent um he's he's a great race driver he's a you know in a, when he's mixed he's a great racer when he's mixed in with the other guys we saw that in monza um and he just is the consummate professional in terms of always trying to improve himself and uh, i'm not saying the others don't do it but i don't think they probably do it quite to the same level that that he does and for him to continue to do that and acknowledge even as a six you know five-time world champion maybe coming up for six-time world champion i'm losing count um yeah, yeah he's gonna be 
for this him is, to even acknowledge, yeah. okay, I need to go back to the hotel and study so I can figure out the last one-tenth I'm missing out of this lap is just uh, incredible commitment, I think, and professionalism. So. This is yeah. Gonna... But yeah, he's he's in, he's in a he's in he's in a different stratosphere to everybody else this season. He really is. You know, it reminds me of Michael Jordan. They used to say that yeah. Jordan had two things going for him. One was just like better talent than anybody else, and then two was he worked harder than anybody else. On top of that, yep. And that's yep. what makes you a transcendent figure in an act, in a sport or anything. Yeah. Really, is combining the work ethic with the natural ability. That just you can't. At that point, you have no weaknesses, really. You know, you're just yeah, amazing. Yeah, I, I will so. actually say I've I've seen it three times in, in pro- going to see professional sports live, four times. Mm-hmm. Uh, three of them are motor racing. So one was the first time I saw Rat and Senna in a cart, and he went basically round a corner, and everybody else tried to follow him and it flew off. They literally couldn't follow him. <laughs> Seeing Michael Schumacher, mm-hmm. Lewis Hamilton, oh, actually Fernando Alonso a bit too. But the one that really stuck, sticks in my mind is actually the one time I did see Michael Jordan play, and it was at the end, towards the end of his career when he was with the Washington Wizards. Oh. And there was like two separate teams on the court. There was the, there was the team, there was the Wizards, which was the normal Wizards who were like, okay, we're getting on. And then whenever Michael Jordan came on the court, even if he wasn't on court for very long, it was like a completely different team. The, the, the game elevated. Yeah. Yep. with him on court Absolutely. and then when he walked off court it went boom, back down and it's like <laughs> whoa you, you, I mean you, you you could physically see it right in the way that the rest of the team carried themselves in the energy on the court and stuff that just came from him and as you say that combination of natural talent professionalism and application Absolutely. Uh, I, I think Lewis is in that Yes, game. I think. I think I, so and too. yes, I think it makes it a bit boring for folks. I know there's a lot of people, my wife among them, who hate seeing him win all the time. Um, <laughs> but I, you know, I, if you look back through the history of F1, you've had that. Be it Michael Schumacher, be it you know um, Ayrton Senna, um, you know Jim Clark, Jimmy Stewart, uh, Fangio. You know, it doesn't matter. You, you take any uh, era of the sport, and you'll find dominant drivers and dominant teams. Well, Lewis, I just double checked because, like you said, it's hard to keep up with. Lewis has six. This will tie six, him with. Yeah. This year will yeah. tie him with Michael Schumacher. So, good heavens! Right, and I think if he wins this weekend, doesn't he tie Michael Schumacher's number of wins as well? Yeah, I think that's. He's already got several things like the poles and points and all that, but he's. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Still, he's still yeah. second in wins and in all-time championships. But I think both of those records are going to go down and go down hard very soon. Yeah, I think. So. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> Yeah. yeah. And, yeah. and and again, very deserved, no doubt. Because, you know, I've always said, I don't, I've always told you straight up, I said, I don't root for him. He doesn't need my help, right? I, I root for <laughs> other, I root for other drivers to make it interesting, you know. It's just like I didn't root for the 49ers with Montana. I didn't root for the Cowboys with, with Emmett Smith and all. They didn't need my help. I want, I root for the ones that can make it interesting. So I root for, you know, Max or, I even been rooting for Lance Stroll lately just because he's been doing better this year with a decent car. He's not a horrible driver. And, um, but, 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 I res- but, but I respect Lewis, utterly respect him. You can't watch him unless there's something wrong with you. You can't watch him and not at least, just like with Jordan, just like with Magic Johnson, whoever, you have to respect the game. You know, you have to yeah. say, you know, I may not yeah. like their personality or this or the other, but man, you can't say anything bad about his. His career about what he does on the on the on the no, track. And the, and the thing is, you know, people say it makes the races boring. Well, yeah, it does to an extent. But you know, wh- when he's off in the lead and it's clear he's, he's you know, it, yeah. he's heading for another win, I I sort of stop watching the lead and start watching the race for third, 
back. And, sure. You know, if you ignore the for the two Mercedes out front, there's been some absolutely terrific races. If all you do is focus on who wins, then yes, it gets a bit boring. But you you miss a lot of really good stuff going on further down the field if you do that. Well, you had a good idea. Let's start at the back of the teams now and just kind of cover any other news we want to cover in Formula One. Um, well, I guess we okay. need to do the standings real quick, though. I mean, as things stand right now, let me let me just throw this out there real quick, and then we can do that. As things stand right now, nine races down, and I believe eight to go. So the total of 17. And Lewis is just well out ahead at 190 points. Botas in second at 135. And Max Verstappen in third with 110. Everybody else is 65 or lower. The interesting thing to me, though, is that number four is not the other... And you'll notice that the Ferraris are not in that list. We'll get to that in just a second. (laughs) We'll talk yep. about that, why there's no Ferrari mentioned there. But what is interesting to me, because when I started watching Formula One in 2016, the McLarens were horrible. They made Williams look good, okay? They made Sauber look good. They were so bad. Well, number four is Lando Norris in the McLaren. And you will recall, I did ask you if Ferrari chose the wrong McLaren driver to elevate to Ferrari next year. <laughs> uh, he's in fourth place ahead of Alexander Albon. So yeah, uh, yeah. I thought that was interesting. So we can talk about yeah. the McLarens. We can, we'll talk about the McLarens in a minute. And then and then some other interesting quick things. Alexander Albon in fifth. Lance Stroll in sixth. Danny Ricky is in seventh. Danny Ricardo. Charles Leclerc is our first Ferrari at eight. And then Sergio Perez, who we got interesting things to talk about, at number nine. And Pierre Gasly at ten. Whereas future Ferrari driver Carlos Sainz is down at 11, and then Sebastian Vettel all the way at 13. I'm going to hold off there because after that it get, we'll, we'll, we'll kind of cover it as a team by team. But that's some interesting standings. Lewis Hamilton in first and Bottas in second notwithstanding. That's some pretty interesting standings. So now let us go through the grid and we'll discover why that is what it is. So kick us off with where do you want to start? Okay, well, let's, let's go reverse order. Uh, with the teams, let's start at the, the back of the grid and sort of move. move hello, forward. Williams. <laughs> so yeah, hello, Williams. Um, which, while you know they're sti- still technically at the back, um, I would give them props for actually being probably Mercedes aside the one of, if not the most improved team in the, on the grid. Um, it's interesting because if you see the the graphics of how are the lap times this year compared to, to last year? Williams mm. actually tend to come out on the top of that list. Yeah. Um, well, that's because yeah, they were because, so horrible last year. Because they were so horrible last year. They were yeah. two or three seconds off the back of the pack for everything last year. <laughs> this year, they're starting to get cars into, particularly with George Russell, get cars into, you know, out of the box qualifying. Um, and they're actually mixing it up. You know, they're actually racing, albeit, you know, some of the other back markers, but they are actually in there racing against other teams and it's not just the two drivers tooling around the back trying to swap positions between the two of them um you know they they are getting in there and mixing it and at the last race you know they were they were splitting the ferraris um at one point so you know i think they've made really significant progress mm-hmm. um i think they're unlucky not to have scored their first points at uh, magello last weekend um mm-hmm. so you know i i think we'll see them um score points um I think they'll probably still finish the season at the end, but not as far off as they were. Um, I think George Russell has been a, a little bit of a star with what he's managed to get that yeah. car to do, particularly um, during qualifying. I think it's one lap pace is, is um, 
pretty good. It just doesn't hold up in the race, unfortunately, which they're not the only team to be in that position. He's got them three 11s and a 12. Yeah. That's not bad, man. That's one stop away from getting points in in three races and then two points away, two two spots away in another. And if you think last the last couple of seasons they could pretty much guarantee they'd be 19th and 20th so mm-hmm. uh, you know I think that they're, they're, they're making good improvement I think it's just unlucky they haven't scored a point which is why they're uh, down at the back so I'm a firm uh, believer that just about any Formula 1 driver that can make it to one of those 20 spots given a good car could do pretty darn well I mean again Lewis Hamilton is Lewis Hamilton but I think that and I think Max to a certain degree and obviously Fernando but you know, those guys aside, I feel like you could pick either of the Williams Mercedes guys and put them in a good car and they'd finish in the top five, top ten every every week. You know, I think it's that close. Yeah, I mean, when George Russell did a couple of uh, testing sessions for, for Mercedes, he went out and broke the track record. I mean, he you know, mm-hmm. he, he's quick in a Mercedes. Um, I, I, to my mind, I... My mind boggles as to why they re-signed Bottas for next year and didn't put Russell in the seat for next year. But yeah. Mercedes, but uh, that's that's just my opinion. I think they made a mistake there. But <laughs> oh, uh, so uh, Russell and Lafitte are going to be back at Williams next year. But of course, it's going to be a different Williams because the big news with them mm-hmm. is the fact that as of the last race, they're actually no longer owned or run by Williams. The Willi- as in the Williams family, as in the company founder, so Frank Williams or his daughter, Claire, um, Claire who was the, the team principal for and ran the team for many years. Um, they basically sold the team and um, moved away from managing the team and the family is no longer involved. So, you know, they are now Williams in name only in the same way that, uh, you know, McLaren has nothing to do with the McLaren family anymore. Um, Williams is nothing to do with the Williams family anymore, which after 40 odd years and being one of the most successful uh, F1 teams of, in history is is a little sad, but um, I think it was time for a change. Um, I think part of their 40-year tenure and old family ways of doing things is part of the reason they're in the situation they're in. So um, hoping sort of some fresh blood and some fresh approaches will, uh, will get them moving back up the grid towards the front, which is where they should be. Yeah, so, so you feel more or less positive about that yeah, I, I think it's I think it's overdue. Um, mm-hmm. I, I I'm a little concerned that basically the new owners are a venture capital company that I'd never heard of until they bought the Williams team. Um, it's like it's not like somebody with a it's not like somebody who's run a Formula Two team bought them and has got got a track record and you know on track. Pardon the pun. Um, <laughs> you know, so I, I have a little concern there. Um, but uh, that's just because I, I don't know anything about the, the company that's bought them. Um, but uh, I, I think they definitely needed um, a fresh air uh, and a fresh approach there. Um, you know, just for ex- example, um, you know, they literally make everything in-house. Even though they have the Mercedes engine, they still make their own gearbox. Um, but if you look at somebody like uh, Racing Point, they take the Mercedes engine, the Mercedes gearbox, the Mercedes rear suspension um, as a package. So, um, you know, Williams still make their own pedals for the drivers. Um, everybody else goes out and buys them from specialist companies that, that do that. So, you know, Williams have tried to basically protect a lot of jobs internally by continuing to literally be a almost 100% constructor themselves rather than sourcing a lot of, of parts that other folks buy from specialist companies. Um, so it's made them sort of slow and top heavy. Um, in the way that they can react to changes, um, and they ha- mm-hmm. haven't really had a, you know, a good visionary designer 
um, I would actually argue since the 90s, since they let Adrian Newey go, which I think is one of the biggest mistakes they ever made. Um, he, he actually wanted a percentage of the company and they wouldn't give it to him. I think they should have given him the 5% of the company he wanted and kept him. I think they'd be in a very different place if they get Adrian Newey was part owner of the team. Um, he went to Red Bull, so, right? Is that where the and that's where Red Bull gets? Eventually, so yeah, he went to McLaren and then to Red Bull. But everywhere he went, he built championship-winning cars. Mm. So, um, yeah. So, uh, I think there's a whole raft of reasons why they ended up in the situation they were in. So, I, I think this is a good thing for them. Um, I think it's it's okay. overdue. Well, that's cool. But uh, like I said, on an emotional point of view, yeah, I'm sad because they've been you know a team I've followed since the, the 80s. So, uh, but. Uh, Hopefully, it will get them going back in the right direction. The only thing I have to say about Haas is, aside from the continuing comedy soap opera that is their <laughs> sponsorship, is uh-huh. they are, as far as I can tell, I have a note about this somewhere, but I lost track of it. As far as I can tell, since 2016, when I started watching, they are the only team that has the same name and the same two drivers all these years. And yeah, I would probably. argue maybe they should have done something to change that. <laughs> One or both of those they things. Some, they should have done something about changing the drivers last year. I'm amazed they re-signed them both this year. They continue to be a bit of a comedy show, the pair of them. Yeah. Um, they still keep bouncing off each other and off the scenery. Mm. Uh, we see some we see some flashes of speed, but they are woefully, woefully inconsistent. Um, yeah. uh, and you listen to the interviews, I think Grosjean's pretty much given up on his career. Um, I know there was one interview that I think... Uh, oh. I can't remember who did the interview, but basically asked Kevin Magnussen if he was going to be back in the car next year, and he's like, yeah, of course I am. And he asked Grosjean, and, they were, and he was like, oh, I don't know, you know, I've got go with things going on at home, you know, I started <laughs> the same time as Lewis, look where he is, look where I am, you know, yeah. didn't really work out, did it? You know, it wasn't exactly positive vibes that he was anxious to get back in the car next year. But I can um, understand it. So. I will say I was actually amazed that they re-signed the Concord Agreement that manages the teams and committed to another five years in F1. <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> the other week. Um, so I, I, I fully expected them to take the renegotiation of the Concord Agreement as the opportunity to bow out and say, okay, I've had enough. Now, the, the only thing I can think of, as you mentioned Perez earlier, if Perez came to Haas next year bringing his large sponsorship checks with him, and we suddenly saw the Haas team with Mexican sponsorship on them. That well, yeah, might give them a little bit of a boost. That would be interesting. You know, what would be really cool is if they somehow had an American driver and oh, yes. and Sergio Perez. Do you know what I'd love to see? Haas and Sergio Perez and Colton Herta. Colton Herta, yeah. And you, see, I heard Colton saying that, and I'm like, you know, mm-hmm. if, if I had a Formula One team and I was going to come get an IndyCar driver, which, A, I don't know why I would. There's so many drivers in Formula One feeder that are already waiting to, to move up. But if I were going to go to IndyCar of all places to get a Formula One driver, I would go to Alexander at Rossi before I would go to Colton Herta, I think. Uh, Alex, I, I love Rossi. He's great. I think he's awesome in, in, in IndyCars. He's had his, he had his F1 chance. It didn't quite work out. I don't, <laughs> Colton Herds, I think, he's just got that raw uh, talent. I, I know Rossi made mark, remarks about when uh, Force India needed a sorry, yeah. racing point, need, needed somebody to stand in for Perez, and he's like, <clears throat> I'm over here. <laughs> yeah, <I> saw that. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, well, he was with Manor. I mean, you know, people were banging into him yeah, in his few races, yeah, yeah. my God. Yeah, I, I will say um, there was an interview. I think it was Lawrence Barreto from F1.com did an interview with uh, 
with uh, the folks at Haas, and they said they were looking at ten dri- potentially ten different drivers were on their list for next year. And it's yeah. like, well, I think I can get to like five or six on that list, but ten. <laughs> um, you know, that's that's. So yeah, they they are clearly shopping around, um, and I w- would expect, I wouldn't be surprised to see two totally new drivers in that team next year. That would be interesting. But yeah, up until this point, they're still the same. So um, let's see. So we talked about Williams and Haas. So Alfa Romeo Racing, which I guess is the old Sauber, right? That's Raikkonen's right, team. Right, it's a Sauber team, which is basically the Ferrari junior team. Uh, which mm-hmm. I, I believe they just re-signed the contract last week to renew that um, partnership. So it will continue to be the Ferrari uh, junior team with the Alfa Romeo name for a little while. Um, and at times, they're outperforming their parent Ferrari company yes, they are. well they're only they're only two spots behind them in the team standings right now the constructor standings yeah um and some you know and the last couple of races they've won the ferrari division ferrari engine division um so, <laughs> oh, that's, so sad. That, that, that's an interesting race within a race to watch um so yeah we've seen that you know some good flight kimmy reichen some good flashes of the kimmy of old um i think he's still some of the best value on the radio um oh yeah you know um so I, you know, but I doubt he'll be back next year. I think this was the end of his his two year hobby driving. <laughs> I would hobby. be amazed if if he's back. Uh, Giovinazzi, I think, because Giovinazzi is a you know a Ferrari driver. I was actually just listening to an interview with him this morning, um, and he was sort of hinting that he'd pretty much been told, you know, you hang on at Alpha for a couple of years, and once science is done, we might get you back at Ferrari. So I don't know. Oh, um, interesting. So I can see him staying there. Um, I half expect to see uh, Mick Schumacher, the young Schumacher boy Schumacher in, in the car mm-hmm. next year. He's starting to come good at the end of his F2 season. So uh, I think Mick Schumacher might be in one of those seats next year, if not him, one of the other um, Ferrari juniors. Um, That's but, what uh, I was saying, though. They've got so many young drivers like that coming up. Why in the world would they go to IndyCar to get a driver? I just can't see it. Well, I, I think Haas might. Yeah. Well, that's true. That's true. Haas is the only one. They're the only one yeah, I can yeah. see it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the interesting thing is, you know, uh, Red Bull was always touted as, you know, the, the teams that had the driver academy and the, the junior team, and they, mm-hmm. you know, they had the depth of talent. And they've sort of run out, and now Ferrari have got this big depth of junior talent yeah. coming up. So, uh, that's weird. Yeah, that's, uh, you know, it'd be interesting to see where, where those uh, two programs are in a couple of years um, yeah. and, and how it works out. Well, Red Bull kind of burned through them there. Yeah, they did, yeah. Yeah, so... So, yeah, Alfa Romeo, um, you know, I've, I've been doing good. I think if Giovinazzi can calm himself down a little bit, um, you know, uh, and maybe him becoming a team lead to a junior might be what he needs. And uh, yeah. I, I can see them sort of. That's interesting. You know, I, I think, it, you know, preseason testing, it looked like they were actually going to be towards the top of the midfield. And I think the Ferrari engine woes have really hampered them a bit. Well, then we have the former Toro Rosso, now known as Moonbase Alphatari, as I like to call them. <laughs> yep. And um, they uh, actually won a race this season. What the heck? Whoa! <laughs> they did for the first time since 2008, I think it was. Yeah, insane. They they, yeah. In a um, crazy, crazy, kind of a demolition derby of a race, they just were the last car yeah, standing, kind of. Well, and they interested. They had the right strategy that really yeah. worked out for Gasly. And, and Gasly, mm-hmm. I think Gasly, go, you know, I think Pierre Gasly's been my standout for the season so far. Yeah, Lewis. who saw that um, coming, man? Yeah, and uh, you know, he, he he held off. 
I think another lap, and I think Carlos Sainz would have got him. But he, you know, we held mm-hmm. he held the lead with tires that were going, and he, you know, he, he was he ended up in a strategy that ended up with him out front, and he hung, hung on to it. So I thought it was uh, really well deserved, and it was a great win. Um, caveats being Kvyat's been pretty solid in the, you know midfield. Um, I think they're a team that is punching above their weight. Um, I hope they continue to do so. I will say I do like the black and white or dark blue and white trim as opposed to the um, old Toro Rosso because it was always difficult to tell the Toro Rossos from the Red Bulls. Um, so I, I do like this yeah. new color scheme and the new name. I think it's, um, again, has given them a little bit of a new lease of life, um, position them slightly differently. And for, for an Italian team other than Ferrari to win at Monza, um, that's just amazing. That's yeah, that was time. true. For only the second time, so uh, yeah. Well, and speaking of Ferrari in Italy, Ferrari, we've we've alluded to it, but go ahead and I think you've kind of covered it to a certain degree. But what exactly did they do wrong that's just killing them this year? Well, I don't know. Anybody knows exactly what they did wrong last year, but mm-hmm. um, so last year they were really quick. If you remember, uh, Leclerc ended up with seven pole positions. They were in there. They were fighting. They had the fastest engine. Nobody could keep them on the straight. Uh, right. People started muttering about something about. F- fuel and oil management and they were doing something that wasn't quite legit a new technical directive came out when we got to Austin at the end of last year and suddenly the Ferrari was a little bit slower and then over the winter Ferrari and the FIA came to an agreement about engine development and suddenly the Ferrari is as slow as a brick this year so you know make (laughs) jump to your own conclusions Um, but basically I think they were doing something naughty and they got caught Um, and they really were relying on the engine to overcome the trick engine to overcome the fact that the car is about as aerodynamic as a brick. Yeah. Um, I mean, you just look at it compared to the other cars. It just does. It just looks solid and bulky, it um, and it is really slow and draggy. Um, so, without the engine power um, to to drive them forward, um, you know, it's proven they, they're literally going backwards. They're the only team that are, they are slower than last year. You, again, I said, you know, if you look at some of the comparisons of people's lap times at certain circuits last year compared to this year, Ferrari is the only team that's going slower than they did than last year. Everybody else is going quicker. Um, so again, that raises questions as to why they, you know, why they are a lot slower in basically the same car. Um, and obviously then we've got the, the whole political dynamics going on with the drivers uh you know they declared before the start of the season that uh they you know they'd come to a mutual agreement with sebastian vettel that he wouldn't be driving for them next year and then once the season started and vettel got in front of the press <laughs> we got that got that there was no mutual agreement they didn't even bother to call me and offer me anything they just told me i was fired which is great and now they want him to go out and race for them you know um yeah, so that- basically he well, Alan, that, let me ask you, that, that was the weirdest thing, right, is that they made all these driver changes before this season even started. Yeah, yeah. That just was bizarre. I mean, that's got to hurt, hurt morale and make it all very awkward, doesn't it? It does, and it seems that basically, you know, if there's anything dodgy on the cars, it seems to be on Vettel's car, you know. Um, yeah. And he seems to be really suffering and, you know, be running down in 11th and 13th place. I think the part... A lot of that is the the you know the team don't care and he doesn't care. Um, you know why should he put himself out for the for the team? And I don't blame him. Um, and Leclerc is I will say you know Leclerc is driving the car way above its capabilities. You know uh, the last race he was up in uh, in third at one point uh, and then just the, you know everybody drove past him because the car yeah. you know once they got on the straight the car was just so so slow on the straights everybody's coming past him so he literally you know he sort of went backwards. Um, so you know I think he 
and then obviously he had a, a big crash too at, uh, at Monza. So um, it's it's worrying. You know, they got they seem to have handling issues, brake issues, a draggy car, an unperforming engine, and a driver that doesn't want to drive for them. <laughs> yeah. So you know how the mighty have fallen um, from being a top contender, and you know to but but what is it midfield but, this year and and yeah. I would say you know some of their customers are starting to overtake them as well. I wouldn't be surprised <sighs> oh, to see them fall behind Alfa Romeo at some point. But but what does it say about Charles Leclerc though that with with Vettel all the way down in thirteenth place and never finished higher higher than six and six was an average he got a sixth and a seventh. Everything else has been ten or lower. Leclerc has a second, a third, and a fourth. Yeah. No, I think he's done heroics with the car. Yes. He really do. Yeah, I, exactly. I think he's done way better than he should have done in that car. I mean, it's and like yeah, you said, I, he I was think, he was sinking like a rock in that race where he got up to like third at one point last couple of weeks. Yeah, and I think the accident at Monza just shows how on the edge, on the limit, he is with that car and how much he's prepared to push it in the way mm-hmm. that Vettel won't. You know. Yes. Um, that uh, you know he he was so far on the edge, he just took a very minor mistake to trigger a really big accident because he was just so on the edge of being out of control with it. So that's Ferrari. Um, Renault will be changing their name, maybe because they're going in the witness relocation program because they just haven't (laughs) been that good. I don't know. But they've actually, you know, Renault has actually been a little better this year than I expected. They have shown some improvement, and particularly Ricardo, right? I mean, he's got a – Ricardo's got three fourth-place finishes. Can we just go back to Ferrari? Oh, sure. I'm sure that Carlos Sainz is ruining ruining his decision to move to Ferrari next year. No kidding. Yeah, looking at them, you know, as his McLaren zooms past the uh, the two Ferraris, thinking, "Oh my God, what have I done?" So. Yeah, that's. I mean, well, that's you know the thought that Vettel went to Ferrari. You think, okay, the four-time world champion goes to the the most famous team. How many world championships is Vettel going to win? And it's zero. So you just never know. Yeah. So, anyway, sorry, I didn't mean to distract you. No, that. no, you're right. So, but yeah, I was just pointing out Ricardo has uh, a four, a four, a four, and a six uh, this season. And that's, I mean, he's only retired once when, you know, he's always been one of those, been, have been snake bitten by a, a car that messes up on him a lot. And so I just feel like the, the, I mean, they had a couple of bad weekends there at, at uh, the, the second Britain race and the Spain race. But other than that, he's been in the top 10 all season and, and fairly high in the top 10. So maybe Renault's getting there just in time to become, what are they turning into? Alpine. Alpine. Oh, geez. But, <laughs> but, but whatever. But, I mean, they're getting their act together a little bit. I'm, I've been impressed with them. Yeah, I, I, I'll get to the Alpine thing. I, I think there's, there's some good reasoning behind it, but we'll, we'll talk about it in a minute. Um, yeah, I mean, Renault, I think, is, is really showing signs of speed at last. Um, you know, they got dangerously close to getting on the podium a couple of times with Ricardo, um, yeah. which is great. You know, see he's smiling again. Um, mm-hmm. So I, I think there's, there's definitely speed there. Um, I think now they've got over their legal shenanigans of complaining about Force, um, I keep saying Force India. Um, <laughs> complaining about racing, race, racing point every every race. That's um, what that's what we know. needed. That's what we needed Raikkonen for. Remember, he had the greatest. My favorite quote from him was when he goes, uh, I, "Something about he almost got hit by one." And he goes, "I almost got hit by Force India or whatever the bleep they're calling themselves now." <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I loved yeah. it. So, uh, yep. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I think Renault are definitely headed in the right direction. I think Ocon is still a little hot-headed. Um, yeah. He seems to complain to about 
to, about everything and blaming the team and everybody but himself. Yeah. So I think he needs to calm down. It's going to be interesting to see what he's like against uh, Fernando when Fernando returns next year. Because oh Fernando is notorious for managing the team around himself uh, <laughs> and uh, alienating his uh, teammates. So uh, I think Ocon's going to have a hard time. And I'd be amazed <laughs> if he um, survives beyond next season with Fernando. Um, so, But obviously their big news is, is the return of Fernando Alonso next year. Um, and they've obviously sold him on the dream that come the new regs in 2022 they're going to be a top contender and they seem to be heading in the right direction and yeah. uh, they're investing a lot in uh, folks at the factory and uh, new staff uh, and as you said they're, they're rebranding to Alpine um, I think there's a couple of reasons for that one uh, you know Renault as a state auto manufacturer are a bit under um, scrutiny um, and you know them apparently spending a lot of money on formula one looks a little bit wasteful but if it's alpine which is their niche custom sports car division which doesn't sell a lot of cars it's like uh, and will probably continue to be petrol driven cars and hybrids as opposed to all electric when renault is going all electric i think it allows them to say hey look this is our sports division that's doing the racing it's not the Ah, okay. electric commercial family car division we're not wasting the the big company money these are just the petrol heads that we allow (laughs) off in the corner that sell us you know will then sell and market these uh you know fancy sports cars that we build um so i I think there's a marketing internal corporate branding reason for it um as well right that makes sense okay um, as opposed to alpha tori which just sounded like uh Red Bull wanted to sell more sunglasses or something, you know, and that's just yeah, been, it's their fashion, it's their Italian fashion brand. Yeah, it's the yeah. Uh, you know five hundred fifty dollar beanies and hundred dollar mm-hmm. t shirt type stuff. Yeah, so. that's what I thought. But so I, yeah, I, I, like I said, I think actually the Alfa Tori, I like the I like the Alfa Tori look um, more mm-hmm. than Toro Rosso. But. Yeah, they just look like a washed out Red Bull. I could tell the difference, but it still it looked like they'd take the red taking the Red Bull car and just left it out in the sun too long and it kind of faded. And yeah. so it did. It didn't have its own identity. So at least now, as silly as it is, it's like their own identity, and good for them. Yeah. So yeah. So Even, that's that, that's why I think uh, Renault's going for the Alpine branding. So. Yeah. That so makes talking sense. of rebranding, that brings us to Force India Racing Point oh, Aston Martin. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever they are. So wait a minute. Tell oh, me right. this. This is what I've been wanting to ask you about. This. So hasn't Red Bull been Aston Martin Red Bull or something up until now? Yeah, but Red Bull have been sponsored by Aston Martin. Okay, but Aston Martin like don't don't have any direct. Comp- um, they were working together on um, a joint supercar program called the Valkyrie, which Adrian Newey and the uh, uh, Red Bull Technology Company and stuff worked with Aston Martin on that project, which is why the tie-in. Okay, but um, will that go away? Uh, that, that will probably go away because with the takeover of Force India. By Stroll, Lance Stroll. Um, did I get that right? Lawrence. Lawrence Stroll. Lance is the son in it. Yeah. See, Daddy Stroll by Lawrence mm-hmm. Stroll. Um, mm-hmm. He he basically now own. He, he bought the F1 team, and then since then he's become the majority shareholder and chairman of Aston Martin. So basically, he's the boss of Aston Martin. So he's going to re- next year that team is going to become the Aston Martin Works team. So um, right. There yeah. we go. So, so they're going to have like Aston Martin engines and stuff? No, no. They'll still be Mercedes engines, okay. which is actually 
what's in an Aston Mar- most Aston Martins these days anyway. Oh, okay, I got you. So, yeah, what's been interesting about them is they basically copied last year's regular Mercedes car, right, to go along with the engine, right. and it's yep. worked out for them pretty well. It got them in trouble, I know, and we can talk about that, but honestly, I'm like, if it works, man, do it, you know, to pay the pay yeah, well, the fine. Everything they did was everything they did was it was in within the rules it may not have been within the spirit of the rules but was technically legal yeah uh, you know they didn't, it's not like it's not like they got them you know broke into the mercedes thing and got their cad files and stuff they took you know thousands and thousands and thousands of photographs of last year's mercedes during the events and then sort of reversed engineered it mm-hmm. um, and then there were certain parts under the rules that you could buy from other teams and they would buy those parts from Mercedes. Like I said, you know, they have a Mercedes engine, a Mercedes gearbox, Mercedes rear suspension. Um, the disputed brake ducts that um, mm. basically they got taken to court over by the other teams, They, my understanding is they bought those when they were still listed parts last year, like on the 31st of December or something, and they became <laughs> illegal on the 1st of January, but they bought them before the deadline but then put them on this year's car so it was like eh, okay um they were you know technically legal but uh, illegal you know so it, was, it, it all got a bit silly um but i think you know what it's done is allowed folks to come up with a definition of you know what is a legit thing that you can buy from another team and reuse um and so forth um so you know, I mean, there, it was the same argument about Haas. You know, the Haas is basically a Delara chassis with a ton of bits bought from Ferrari. Um, and when that's how Haas got started up, everybody's like, "Well, that's not. You know, you should be building your own car." And they were like, "Well, within the rules, we're allowed to do this." Um, so you know, I, I think it was just one of those instances. And if you look back at certain points, that there is, you know, look back in the ground effect effect era when uh, you know the first ground effect. Lotuses came out, and then you look like a year or two later, and you can see copies all that da- you know, virtual copies of that car all down the field. So it's not something new. Uh, nobody's done it in a long time, and kudos for for Racing Point to uh, think about it. They've always done a lot with a very limited budget, and very very creative thinking. Those guys at uh, the team at Silverstone, um, and I, I think it's actually going to be really interesting seeing them move forward and actually having good facilities because they're getting like a brand new factory um, at Silverstone and stuff instead of working out of a shed you know they're going to actually have a proper Formula 1 facility Um, so it's going to be interesting to see what they do when they've actually got a budget and a sustained budget as opposed to like the last 8 years where they've been not knowing from one year to the next if they were going to survive and they've been working on Hmm. you know very tight budgets and being very creative and very successful on small budgets and doing a lot with little it would be interesting to see how they manage when they can actually spend money and whether and, they'll still be as creative. Yeah, and they've had a very good I mean, if you you know, they've got they're sitting on 92 points which yep. has them 14 behind McLaren in third, but if they had their 15 points they were docked over the brake duct issue, they'd be in third place. Yeah. Yeah. And, and as awesome. you said, going back to the, you know, everybody every driver on the grid is a good driver because you put them in a decent car. Lance mm. Stroll is a perfect example of that, you know, the fact that uh, I will say I don't particularly. I've never met the guy, but he just doesn't. He, he just comes over as a bit of a entitled rich boy to me. Sure, he never seems happy. Um, but uh, you know, he's he's doing really well. Um, I, I it blows my mind that he and Perez are. You know, he's actually ahead of Perez in the uh, in the points. So, you know, I would have said that Perez is way better driver than, than Stroll. So, um, but well, uh, well, if you notice. 
I was just going to put about the points. The, Stroll has had to retire twice. Perez uh, had to withdraw once because of the COVID thing, right? And yet, they've in every twice. race that they've both finished. Yeah, in every race they've both finished, they both finished every race in the top ten. Yeah, yeah. But Perez was always a guy who you thought would you know be challenging for podiums, and it's been Stroll. Um, mm-hmm. So um, I don't and know the, the the background shenanigans of you know Will Vettel. The Vettel move and, you know, as, as sort of, and then the whole COVID thing sort of, you know, derailed Perez's confidence a bit. I don't know. Um, and also you notice that when they get upgrades, Stroll is the one who gets them first rather than Perez. Yes. So I think there's, I think there's been a bit of internal maneuvering there. And yes. it just seems a bit, I know it's Formula One, it's business, you know, um, but it does seem a bit unfair because, you know, Perez was literally the guy who saved the team. Mm-hmm. A few seasons ago, um, he was, uh, and stopped them going bankrupt. So it, you know, and he was mid-contract. He had a five-year contract, and he's still in the middle of that. And it just seems a bit unfair that they seem to unceremoniously dump him um, after you know visibly courting Vettel for several months, um, and then denying that they were doing it. It just seems a bit would, off. But I will would, say, Vettel going to Aston Martin next year, I think, is a pretty cool move for both of them. Both for Vettel, I think it'll help rejuvenate his career. He's got a team to build around himself. Um, I think it's a cool idea uh, move from Aston Martin to, you know, start off with a four-time world champion as their lead driver. So, well, that's what I want to ask you. Do you do you pr- approve of that move? Do you think that's a good move for Vettel, and is that a good move for uh, Racing Point Aston Martin? I think it's a good move for both Vettel and Aston Martin. I think it should have been Perez in the second seat. Yes, um, but you know, Daddy Stroll is not going to fire no. his, his kid. So no, um, no, you know. Uh, so, and, and again, yeah. Stroll hasn't been that bad, honestly. I mean, if Stroll was finishing twentieth every race, and Perez was like fifth and sixth every race, then it would look it would look ridiculous, right? It would just be blatantly ridiculous. Yeah, I mean, but you know, and you know, if you look at the seasons, you know, look at where they were when they were, they were making the official decision. Um, then yeah, Stroll had more points and was ahead of Perez in the championship and stuff. So you know, in theory, he was the number one driver. But when you look back last year, when they didn't have the basically the replica Mercedes, they they had something that was was more of a handful. Mm-hmm. Perez was up there scoring points, and Stroll couldn't even get out of Q one qualifying. Yep. So, you know, when you've got a good car, yes, it you know Stroll <laughs> can drive it, but when you've got a rough car, he clearly can't. And um, to me, that speaks volumes. Um, I, I wouldn't put it. I wouldn't put it past Daddy Stroll to uh, alter the test, the COVID test, to make. Perez have to sit out a couple of weeks, <laughs> or at least have somebody up. cough on him. <laughs> you know. <So. laughs> but having said that, let's let's go to the star of there, Hulkenberg, with his one. Um, oh man! W- one off, almost got on the podium again, starting the <sighs> race, and he's actually still ahead of. Was it? He's still ahead of five other drivers in the championship. I had a note here. Yeah. Race. Yeah, he's in 15th place after one race. He's ahead of six drivers who have raced in all nine races. And he, he did the one race. Did so, one race, uh, yes. Yeah. That's so, yeah, he's, he, incredible. He, I was going to say, if, if Haas next year is not Perez and, and Herta, I think Perez and Hulkenberg is probably a good bet at Haas. So. Oh, yeah, I would much rather see them than... Mag- Magnussen and, and, and Grosjean just do nothing for me. No. Nothing no. from me. In fact, Magnuson has retired for more races than he's finished this year. That's pretty sad. He's retired from five of the nine. Yeah. Woo. Yeah. Woo. So, 
All right, and then you mentioned going up the carrying out the grid. You you just used a phrase that I didn't think I would hear for years to come yet, which was McLaren in third place. Yes, how about that? <laughs> That's, how about which that? is awesome as a lot another long time McLaren fan. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, after after Lotus and Williams, they're probably my uh, third favorite team. Um, um, it's great to see them heading back in the right direction. I don't think that they've got a ways to go to be the mighty McLaren yet, but they're definitely heading in the right direction. <laughs> and, uh, I, you know, I, I, I love the, the, the bromance between uh, Lando Norris and Carlos Sainz um, on social media and interviews and stuff. And uh, they just seem to have a great team moving forward. So uh, 11 I, top 10 finishes so far in the, between the two of them. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, Norris is always there at the end, and Sainz mm-hmm. has just been unlucky a few times. You know, it was him that had the the, the tire go at Silverstone, and mm-hmm. you know, uh, other, you know, couldn't couldn't getting, catch. Getting caught up in that horrendous melee at the uh, the restart oh, of the yeah. last race, um, that horrendous crash and stuff. So you know, he he just, just seems to be in the wrong place at the wrong time when Lando um, is just doing a good solid job and he's putting in those uh, you know last ten lap specials that he's getting really good at to pull the car up. Um, That's true. So great to, you know, they've had a podium apiece um so can they stay there can they stay there or is this just an aberration for mclaren is this the new um news? in theory they should i mean they're going to have a mercedes engine next year my no. only concern about that is they're the only team next year that's actually going to have a major, major change to the car um oh. in switching engines um when there's a development freeze in place so um you know and it's not as easy as just unplugging one engine and plugging another one in because the car's designed around the engine mm-hmm. so uh, I, have a, I have a little bit of concern even if they're going to get the better power unit it making that combination work might not be quite so easy and it might drop them back a bit but uh, we'll see hmm. but uh, I'm, I'm hoping they're going to stay up there and uh, you know we'll see maybe uh, you know Aston Martin and Ferrari come back up we may you know, ideally get a five-way oh, wow. chase at the front which would how, be awesome how nice would that be don't forget Alpine um, oh, yep. <laughs> so, Red Bull firmly in second place. That's something I've kind of wanted to see ever since I started watching because I like Red Bull the best. Uh, I like Christian Horner. I like the cars and everything. So, is it? Ju- I mean, is it? Is it? Is it that Red Bull is that much better? Is it that just that Ferrari has vacated second and left it sitting there for Red Bull to just stumble into? What do you think? I think a combination. I think Red. I think Red Bull. Um, they still seem to have a very twitchy chassis that Max seems to be the only person on the planet who can actually drive it really well. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, I think the Honda engine's improved, but they've obviously, I think, are pushing it a bit hard because they seem to be having some sort of engine and engine management issues. Um, so I don't know whether they're, they're, they're stretching it a bit far. Um, and the other part, I think, it, it, is Max. You know, I think he just keeps improving and improving. But I think Albon's doing a much better job than most people. I know a lot of people have been, oh, you know, Gasly should be back in the seat, and Albon's not really doing a good enough job because he's, you know, X number of seconds off Max. I think everybody's going to be, you know, mm-hmm. I don't think anybody's going to be getting within, you know, two tenths of Max. Um, uh, you know, and Albon is is fifth in the championship. He was fourth up until, you know, the last race. Um, I think he's doing a good job. He's getting closer to Max, and he, he got on the podium last time, which is, is his job. If Max Verstappen doesn't finish, then, you know, you need to be picking up the pace and get getting there. So, um They've also made some puzzling strategy calls on tyre choices um, between the two of them as yes. well, I think, sometimes. So I think they need to work on that strategy a bit as well. Um, but, uh, yeah, they, they, they've been really good. Uh, 
I was hoping Max could could challenge the Mercedes a little bit more than he has, but I don't think that's down to him. I think that's down to luck in the car. I I tell you what, I did not want to go back to Gasly this year because I remember last year and I remember how bad Gasly he was Gasly the first half of last season and they brought in Albon and he was noticeably better although clearly that car just a, a that car isn't set up quite as well in some ways somehow as Max's car and B Max is Max but Albon has been doing I mean Albon is in fifth Gasly is in tenth so let's just slow our roll on Gasly jumping up but the other thing yeah. is here, here are Max's finishes in the races. He, he retired in three, but in the races, Max didn't retire. And that's actually six in a row after the first race. Third, second, second, first, second, third. That's pretty darn good. I mean, that's competing yeah. with that's competing with Lewis. In fact, I, I made a note that if if he had finished just second in the three races he retired, and that's about average for where he's been finishing, he'd only be a few points behind Lewis right now. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So I, I, I think, I think one of the things that to me that I think it was the Silverstone race. There was an interview with with, with Albon and Max, and they were talking about the difficulty of driving the car. And they asked Albon, you know, you know, it's a bit, you know, difficult to drive, and there's certain things, and you know, how do you compensate for that? And he's like, well, you know, I've got to manage the tires through here, and you know, change my line through that. And they asked Max, and he just he he, he just grinned and went, and then did a hand sound movement like I just I just mashed the throttle. <laughs> drive through it just yep. hammer through it and it's like yeah that's max you know it is like, he's um, fun i mean he he kind of has the same arrogance that you see in like a lance well lance doesn't seem arrogant just kind of entitled like you said but there isn't there is an arrogance about max that is off-putting i will firmly admit that but yet really? on the other okay. yes there's an arrogance about him that he just thinks he's like too good to even be questioned and how dare you ask me that and all that he just comes across that way to me but at the same time he's so good that you just enjoy seeing him go about his business and take care of business the way that he does because he's very meticulous and very demanding and he gets results you know and that's that's fun to watch it is uh, and to me he's just like i said he's just a guy who likes to drive fast and knows he has the skill to do it and you know that's what he was literally born and raised to do so yeah uh, and he does it and scary thing is his younger brother's coming up behind him and he's going to be just as quick so. oh wow i didn't know that yeah, yeah there's, there's another there's another another product of the verstappen factory on its way so. oh boy so there's max is he minimum <laughs> Yes. So that I guess that really just gets us Mercedes and then we'll be uh kind of done with the And we've pretty much the... talked about Mercedes up front. Yeah. I mean, you know, just Lewis Lewis yeah. is um, a different stratosphere. So who who um, would you have, ha- they have they have shown uh, sort of little signs of fragility. I mean, you know, they yes. they, they made the, that pit call. We've got uh, you know, Lewis winning uh, Silverstone on three tires. Um, you know, um they've had races where, you know, they've been told, you know, <laughs> Don't go on the curbs. Um, yep. I like the last race where the, the message came over was like, "Lewis, please stay off the curbs." And he's like, "Which curbs?" And they were like, "Uh, all of them." All of uh, them. <laughs> your so, car yeah. will explode. Do not, do not breathe yeah. hard. Just pretend you're carrying so nitroglycerin I, I, in the trunk. <laughs> I don't. They don't have the fastest car at the moment, and I think it's probably one of the more fragile ones. But they're managing it. They are. And that's, that's what they that's do. What makes them different. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. what they do. No doubt about it. Yeah. You got. You may not to quote to quote Ric Flair. You may not like it, but you got to respect it because it's the yep. best thing going today. Yeah, very true. Um, okay, so that's that. And then let's see. Did we have any other? Let me just check my little notes here. If there was anything else I wanted to mention, I don't think 
So, um, now, yeah, I think that's, let's see, Max. I Do you want to that. talk about, uh, you had a note about uh, the different costs in running the Formula One and IndyCar team. Oh, do you want to do that again? Yeah, I might as well go ahead and do that, yeah. Okay. I, looked, I looked it up, and tell me if I'm wrong here or whatever, but uh, I don't even remember where I put that note. But, oh, um, but yeah, I, I did some research a couple of years ago and found that it's like $200 million to have a Formula One team. And that, to me, that almost seemed low, <laughs> considering all that they have to pay for. But $200 million. And I looked up how much does it cost to have a, an IndyCar team. And I thought, because I, I always wondered, some of these IndyCar teams look pretty Jake-leg. You know what I mean? They look like uh-huh. cobbled together in somebody's backyard. So Obviously, the, the Penske's and the Andretti's you know, and Ganassi's are are like the Red Bull and Ferrari and Mercedes of IndyCar. But, you know, you've, you've got your Haas of IndyCar out there. You know, you, you've got your, uh, your um, the way Williams has been lately. And it's like they said, if you, if, you, if you put another car and driver into an existing team, like if you were, for example, oh, Zach Veach, who's there for no apparent reason other than just to be another car, okay, it's a million dollars. That's it. And if you had if you had to start your own team from scratch and didn't like just plug into Andretti or whatever, it would be a little over two million dollars. And I'm like, man, let's start a GoFundMe, dude. <laughs> we can do this. That seems a, that seems a little low, but yeah, but it, it's certainly not Formula One numbers. So so it's funny because after you did that, there was actually a um, a video that I actually saw this morning, literally this morning on YouTube. Um, it was talking about uh, Mercedes numbers. Um, mm-hmm. um, so there's two things. I think the 200 million a couple of years ago was probably about right. But what was interesting was a few weeks ago, a thing came out where the entry fee for Formula One now is $200 million. Oh, good gosh. So if you want to start a new Formula One team before you even spend a dime on facilities and design and team members and drivers and god knows what just to get an entry into the championship is 200 million dollars and the interesting thing there is it's not 200 million dollars to the fia or formula one it's actually 200 million dollars to do to be split among the other 10 teams ha! they're turning to into offset. the nfl they're turning to into the off- nfl yeah. yeah pretty much to offset their loss in their share of the tv money <laughs> so if you Golly. think about it that, that there's an ex, there's a part of I'm not going to do the math. Twenty times twenty million, I guess, per, that gets shared between the whatever. There's a pot of money that gets shared between the twenty right. te- the, the ten teams, and if it's going to be eleven teams, then those other previous ten teams are going to get slightly less. So you have to basically put in two hundred million to this, offset that loss. This tells me that when the SEC allowed Missouri and uh, Texas A&M to join a few years ago, they should have charged them about $200 million apiece to join the SEC to offset the division of the money to the, uh, from the television okay. rights and everything. So, so once you've paid you $200 million, so, okay. Okay. so there was, I was watching this video this morning, and this is numbers wow. that came right out of Mercedes' annual financial report because okay. even if the Formula One team isn't a um, public company like Williams is, um, it's part of a much larger multinational public company that has to produce annual reports so the numbers are public mm-hmm. so so last year in 2019 to win the world championship mercedes spent 363 million dollars good night but because of their sponsorship the fact that they sell engines mm-hmm. and the prize money the net cost to the daimler corporation yep was it, actually 30 million dollars <laughs> 
So they still were in the red, but just not nearly. Ah, but this is it. But that $30 million got them global TV and marketing exposure equivalent to $5.4 billion. <laughs> wow. So basically, if they didn't have a Formula One team but wanted to get the same level of global exposure, they would have to spend $5.4 billion. So they're so not quitting anytime soon. $30 million investment to get $5.4 billion worth of marketing exposure is a pretty good investment. So we know now that if they ever say, if we don't get our way on this, we're just going to quit, we can all just be like, yeah, right. Yeah, why would you? Yeah. You're not ever yeah. going to quit. Because they've talked and about they quitting, actually, haven't they? Uh, there's rumors. They've never said anything about quitting. Other people keep talking about it. Every time a new sponsor appears on the Mercedes, it's like, oh, that team's going to buy a Mercedes. Um, huh. So... Um, Wow, that's really amazing. That blows my mind, seriously. All right. Wow. So, uh, but of course, next year there's going to be a budget cap. So they're actually, uh, Toto Wolf has publicly stated he actually wants to get to the point where the Mercedes Formula One team is a net zero cost to Daimler. Right. So, well, they're going to have uh, to lower the cost and win more, like that they can win yeah, more. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So next, next year the bud- there's going to be a budget cap. You can't spend more than $145 million. Okay. As opposed to three hundred and sixty something million, which is what Mercedes spent. That's probably only Mercedes and Ferrari are in that. Uh, maybe Red Bull are in that ballpark. The rest are less. Um, Twenty twenty two is coming down to one hundred and forty million, which is interesting because that's also the year of the, the first year for the new car. So, and then for twenty twenty three, twenty twenty four, and twenty twenty five, it's one hundred and thirty five million. Cap. And they've actually put. This is the first time they've put written it into the in, actually written financial rules into the regulations. So it's going to be audited, and managed, and stuff like that. It's getting downright affordable, Alan. Why don't we start a, f- yeah. a start a start so actually, a Kickstarter? One of the interesting things is um, one of the rumors that's going around. You know, you know, um, some of the teams like Mercedes have actually started a new technology division so they can move staff from the Formula One team into the technology division, um, so they're not part of the F1 cap. Right. Um, Mercedes, right. um, I think it's uh, Red Bull. Uh, oh no, it's I think it. So one of the Red Mercedes sponsors actually also sponsors America's Cup yacht. So some of the aerodynamics folks are going to the America's Cup team. So they're all figuring out ways of basically trying to keep people in place, and it, then they can go, oh look, this technology was invented over here, which wasn't part of Formula One, but we can use it because we didn't pay for it. Ha <laughs> ha. One of the interesting things is Ferrari's talking about starting an IndyCar team so they can keep people on. <sighs> yeah, and that would be so up. great. God, I wish they would do that. Yeah, uh, maybe supplying an IndyCar engine. And the other thing is, of course, IndyCar's going hybrid in 2022. Mm-hmm. So maybe you might see Ferrari and Mercedes hybrid technology in IndyCar in 2022. Oh, man. They're doing that right because they want to bring in other engine manufacturers. And other engine manufacturers yeah. are only interested in doing it but, if they can do hybrid. Yeah, but if you think about it, if you bring in teams who've had... 10 years of hybrid experience in F1 who need to find new ways to employ race engineers and engine designers. Makes sense, doesn't it? Yeah, absolutely. I, that, that excites me a lot. I'm, I'm very, yeah. very intrigued by such a thing. Yeah, so if you, you want to do a $363 million um, Kickstarter, we can uh, compete with Mercedes. <laughs> but again, we only need <laughs> $2 million to start an IndyCar team. I'm totally down with that. And the transportation's got to be cheaper because the furthest you drive is to like Portland. 
<laughs> so far, yeah. yeah. Maybe down to Mexico. Yeah. We could. Uh, I mean, you're already in Austin, right there at Coda. <laughs> we can just set up our headquarters there, right? And then yeah, sure. Have a have a branch office up here at Gateway, and we're good to go, man. Yeah, cool. That'd be All awesome. Right. Porter Plexico Racing. I yeah. like it. I like it. Um, all right, I'll set up. I'll set up the GoFundMe. Um, okay. All right, we got to pause here for just a second to thank the folks that keep our uh, program on the air. Shows like this and the AU Wishbone, and of course Jared and his whole crew that that Alan is often with, and I'm occasionally with with the uh, on her Majesty's secret on her Majesty's secret podcast. That's a mouthful. Uh, these are all shows that would only exist because of you guys. We do not have any outside advertising. We are purely funded by you, our listeners, and so for as little as a dollar a month, you can join the fun join the family and be thanked and be in on all the other various uh like we do in a normal season we would be doing a uh, a fantasy formula one league and um we do a fantasy indycar league we haven't actually i don't like the way it works but we we have it and we do a whole lot of other fun things throughout the year so go to www.plexico.net p-l-e-x-i-c-o.net and just uh, click on the Patreon link or just go to patreon.com and look for uh, White Rocket or Plexico and join in the family and uh, be part of the fun and help us to keep our shows on the air. The folks who are currently members that we have to thank include Samuel Salvatore and Christopher Burleson, along with Bart Lindsay, Bradley Blackman, Brian Gray, Chris Usher, Gary Grant, Logan Chilton, and Phil Amthor. Richard Stevens, Steve Trawick, Susan Trawick, Tom Anderson, Willie Carden, and Kanzian. A.U. Falling Up, Ben Bloodworth, Clay Henson, Connor Davis, Dan Thompson, Daniel Odom, David Evers, David Hegler, Emmanuel Seaman, George Gaston, Jacob and Robin Fleming, James Greenwell, Joel Beckham, John McCune, John Atsuki, Catherine England, Kevin Smith, Mickey B, Phil Davis, Preston Settle, Reynolds Wolf, Rich Reimer, Steve Harlan, Timothy, WDE Richie, Wes Atkinson, William Morgan, Wilson Beard, Winston Body, Alex Wynn, Blake Heron, Boris the Tiger, Cato the Barner, Chris Hilton. Plus, we have to thank Chris Thrash, Danny Flack, Darius Benton, David Simpson, Di Bama, Earl Ricks, Eric Mahan, Hugh Anderson, Josh Teal, Kevin Kenoy, Kevin Mahan. <clears throat> Excuse me. We have a slightly long list here now, thank goodness, and we appreciate every one of you. Lane Middleton, Mike Finley, Papa Todd, Randall Walker, Rob Morgan, Ross, Russell Milling, Shannon Butson, Sarah Hines, Shane Bailey, Snowdog, Stephen Houston. Tim Pittman, Todd Gray, Tony Perry, Auburn Elvis, thank you very much, Ben Amos, Brandon Smith, Chris Camo, Darren Pyle, David Smiley, I'm getting close to the end, uh, Alan, I promise, Donnie Reynolds, Ivor Evans, James Taylor, Jason Albrick, John Stubbs, John Zavachin, Joey Miller, Joseph Eiliff, Justin Bean, Lawrence Kane, Mark Squire, Matthew Flowers, Nick Vigicana, Nicholas Craig, Patrick Williams, Paul Bankson, Robert Drain, and Robert O. Sammons. Plus, finally, Royce Alvarez, Russell Souther, Ruth, and Darren Sutherland. That's the truth, Ruth. Spanky, Stephen Thompson, Trevor Johnson, Kenneth Brent Rains, Brent Rumble, Chris. Plus, <gasps> take a breath, Van. Plus, our one-time and anonymous donors join their ranks. Go to www.plexico.net or patreon.com and sign up for as little as a dollar a month. You, too, can be part of the action. All right, Alan. So, let us quickly dip our toes in the wonderful world of IndyCar. What have you thought about this IndyCar season, which has been so weird? Um, yeah, I'm actually going to go back to the point I made right at the beginning, where I, I think Formula 1 have got it right and IndyCar didn't. Um, mm -hmm. With the double headers. Uh, I, I, I've basically 
lost track of where we are with IndyCar because all these races just blur into each other. Yeah. Um, by, by doing them, I, I, by having two two races at the same facility, I, I totally get that. Um, having them literally one day after the other, I maybe it's just me, but I need time to think about a race I've just seen, really appreciate it, understand what went on. Um, and by literally having them one day after the other, they just sort of blur together and I lose track of who won what race and what happened in what race and what were the impacts of it. And That's fair I, enough. Um, and because they don't do anything to differentiate the races, either in naming conventions or in the way that they run them or something, they, each race tends to be pretty much a carbon copy of the race before. It may be a couple of different incidents and maybe a different winner, but... I don't know, it just has the same feel about it, where I think Formula One really got it right. Now, I know they have a week between them, even when they're doing a double double header, so it gives you more time to think about it. Um, uh, But the IndyCar one's just doing it so quickly, so compact. Um, To be honest, the season's just become a blur to me, and I really can't pick out races so much. Uh, There's individual Mm -hmm. moments that stick with me, um, and certain drivers have impressed me, but I'm finding it really difficult to keep track of the season as yeah. a whole. Um, and maybe it's just me, but I, I'm just finding it confusing. No, I, th- I think you're right. And um, it's. I think that also, and I never thought I would say this, because every other season since I started watching in 2016, every other season I've said that with the, with the odd exception here and there, usually involving a race at Baku... <laughs> Other than other than those, because you and I both appreciate the Baku races, and we're sad we didn't get one this year. Other than those, usually IndyCar races are more competitive and more fun to me. I, I enjoy the soap opera around Formula One better because I think Formula One does a much better job of promoting their personalities and playing up the whole soap opera aspect. And their Netflix show doesn't hurt with that by really playing up the reality TV aspect of these drivers' lives. You know, I think they've done a masterful job of promoting that. But in terms of actual racing, IndyCar generally has better, more competitive races. And you never know who's going to win, really. Except this year, the races, a lot of them have been really, really dull. And I wanted to get your opinion on that because I think a lot of it has to do with the way the arrow packages and the way that the cars have run this year. They haven't been able to pass each other. They like Formula One cars. They haven't been able to, in the, in the bad way, you know, they haven't been able to pass each other. They've only been able to find one lane on the ovals, really. And they've wrecked a lot. They haven't been stable. You know, they're not really stuck to the ground. And, you know, I've seen some people saying that, it, it, that the, you know, the previous design looked horrible, which it did, but was a better, like, you know, functional design. The current design looks a lot better but is just not as stable on the track, and so it's just not able to... They can't do as much with it. So what do you think about that? I actually wonder if it's a, if it's a side, unintentional side effect of the aero screen because the current yeah. was, was not designed for the aero screen. The aero screen, and it's done an amazing job, and it's clearly saved some potential injuries this year, if not lives this year, and there's a couple of instances where it's like, thank God we had the aero screen. Yeah. Um, but... Uh, so I'm not saying take the aero screen away, but the aero screen has been a, been a retrofit onto the current dis- um, chassis. That's right. Now they're talking about, you know, the next the next iteration is going to be integrated from the front. But it's, so I, I just wonder if that bolt on of the aero screen is just upsetting the balance. And I still know that they've still got a few issues around the flow of the aero screen. The driver's getting hot, figuring out the cooling. Um, so it's upsetting the aerodynamics of it. So I, I think it's partly some of that. Um, yeah, the, the the previous design, the DW12, was um, 
started off looking pretty good. Then they, you know, the the rear bumper thing and stuff didn't quite look quite so good. The new design, mm-hmm. I think, looks a lot better. Um, but I think bolting on the aero screen has, has caused something with the balance. Uh, and I've not really looked into the aerodynamics that that closely. But um, you know, I, again, just a feeling that that I have. I mean, when I saw them in person way way back in february of spring training mm-hmm. um the aero screen looked a little clunky when you look at it straight on from the side it looks pretty good yes um, but you could see that it wasn't really an integral part of the it didn't feel like it looked like it was an integral part of the car that's if, right if that makes sense yeah absolutely so um but unfortunately you know it, it was raining most of the spring training so i didn't really get to see them at full chat going through the curves at, at Coda um, which would have really shown some of the balance up and we, I don't think we ever, ever really got that chance uh, and then of course the, there was the delay so I, I think also some of that development time has not, not been there so. Mm-hmm. So. so and I just think that it's just translated into races that have been almost perfunctory I mean when when you know Scott Dixon went out and won the first three and once again it's you know the, the most stable dependable driver in the entire field is winning every race there the first three weeks then you know you know something's up which is that he's he knows what to do to maximize the situation i think yeah i think he does uh, you know i was actually just watching the um the mid ohio race the other night um you know and i know he didn't win or anything but there was you know at a point where he, he came out and it's like you could tell he was the most experienced guy coming out of the pits on you know fresh tires and the way he held off other folks and sort of you know blocks without blocking and yes you know kept people behind him it's like yeah you, you could tell he's the most experienced guy on the on on the circuit with with the you know irrespective of the, the the car he was just handling the racecraft was just you know different than anybody else's um yeah i, I think the road i i think the ovals have been pretty boring i think some of the road um course races have been pretty good uh, and i think that's a lot of it's down to i think the rookies um you know just watching uh, mm-hmm. uh the dutch guy names escape me currently oh Rinus vk oh Rinus vk uh going around the outside of like two or three folks um uh, in the mid ohio race who were clearly you know fighting each other and didn't even realize he was there and lines just goes boom, right you know it's like okay these you know some of these rookies are just doing things that they're not supposed to do which is great um and i love seeing it but it's mainly been on the road courses i think you're right um i think the uh, you know the the oval courses and i actually did not watch the indy 500 um unfortunately i was not near miss, a, a tv did, screen but you didn't miss a whole lot honestly it was not the greatest indy 500 for, to me i i just honestly i i went to one of the two gateway races and it was the most boring race i've ever watched in my life that wasn't like monaco and uh-huh. the other one is the one that I went to the one on Sunday. The one on Saturday is the one where they crashed the very beginning. Right. And you're like, oh, that one was at least a little bit exciting. Yeah, until the actual race started and then it was boring. Yeah. So out of both gateway races, the only interesting thing was the crash before the beginning of the first one. So that was super disappointing. I mean, we were just bored to death with that, with that second one. And, and I mean, you know, I, oh, you'll appreciate this, by the way. <laughs> In fact, by the way, the first four races were won by Chip Ganassi uh, drivers because Rosenquist yeah. won the fourth one. But you'll appreciate this. I was listening to, to Hinchcliffe and Alexander Rossi's podcast of the day, and you know that they're they're pretty good in IndyCar about not saying too much bad stuff about each other in, in you know at the races or being interviewed or yeah, anything. Yeah. They're pretty businesslike. On their podcast, oh my goodness. Well, there were two really funny things they said about other drivers. They were talking about, about uh, Dixon, and and Rossi's like, 
Rossi's like, it doesn't matter what happens. I, I mean, I'm just totally paraphrasing him, but basically what, what Rossi was saying was, he's like, it doesn't matter what happens. You know, Dixon's going to, you know, if five cars spun out and exploded, Dixon would, like, weave his way through them and finish second. <laughs> yeah. You know, they were talking about how he just got barely missed in that three-car wreck at the beginning of mid-Ohio. is like you saw it. The, the front end of um, whoever went spinning, I don't even remember now, it might have been Ferrucci. It might have been somebody Ferrucci hit. But the front end went spinning, and it missed Dixon's car by like an inch and took out somebody yeah. else. It's just yeah. uncanny. Yeah. And, no, I and, always think, get back to that uh, season out uh, closer at Portland when there was a huge oh, yeah. and there was cars flying. And, and basically, we were going over the top of him, and there was a big cloud of dust, and Dixon just drives out of it. Just and drives out really, of it like a Bond movie. <laughs> yeah, it's like James Bond. Yeah. Okay. And then the other thing he said, this kind of this kind of shocked me. Is they were both talking about how they hate Santino Ferrucci. <laughs> I'm like, whoa, man! They're just like, they were talking about Ferrucci doing this, that, and the other, and they basically, again, I don't remember the exact quote. You have to go back and listen to to Off Track with Hinch and Rossi a couple weeks, about a week ago. But, but they were saying like something like, you know, you know, all the drivers that really like Ferrucci were in that room, and it was an empty room, you know, <laughs> something like that. I mean, they were just absolutely piling on Ferrucci. They apparently, I don't think they were kidding. They don't like him. I, I will say, I saw him at Coda several years ago when he was, I think he was on the, I think he was the Haas junior driver. I think he was, but anyway, it was one of the teams, and he was like the reserve driver for the weekend, and he was on the meet the fans stage thing yeah and i did not like him or his attitude um hmm. he was like you know i'm the white bread american next big thing i'm going to be the next american formula one world champion blah 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 and he never even sat in a formula one car at that point um and the other thing hmm. is he if he's like in indycar like he was in formula two when he got basically thrown out of his formula two team for his political and views on Ethnicity, right? Yeah. Um, you know, um, if he's doing that in the IndyCar uh, paddock as well, then I can understand um, he has some. Let's put it this way: that his, as far as I'm aware, his political views are diametrically opposed to yours and mine. Um, <laughs> you get what I mean? Well, um, it's just you don't go around like waving that I, in I, people's I, faces when you're a professional. No, and I think he, 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 and the folks he was with definitely were so. Yeah, and especially not yeah. in Europe when you're part of a, because all the formula related related. I mean, they're they are trying well, to, mean, to, they're yeah. a marketing machine, and they want you know, they want the fair haired boy that's not going to say anything bad to hurt the brand, you know. But but you know all those international programs when you get to a certain level they're all diverse environments, so you yeah be you know yeah absolutely it's just business it's just a business reality is that you don't. Yeah, you don't mess up your own business thing. So yeah, so I, I understand. You know, I, as again, that's all all without firsthand knowledge. So you know, I'm just you know, speculation. Um, so, but uh, yeah, I was going to say in terms of the Indianapolis Five Hundred, I, I will I will oh, say Ferrucci pulls some amazing moves, particularly on the. Ovals. He has, he has, yeah, he has, and that's yeah. why he's still driving, and that's why he's got uh, Sebastian Bourdais' car now, which yeah. is so weird to see. It is, but Bourdais is going to be back next year, which is great too. Yeah, we'll be back for AJ Foyt. That's right. That'll yeah. be that'll be yeah. fun. Um, well, Dixon's running away with the championship. New Garden is hanging in there because he's New Garden, and that's what he does. And he's got Penske behind him and all that. Our boy Alexander Rossi has not had a good year until the oh, last two races. If he didn't have bad luck, he wouldn't have any, would he? Um, no. This year. 
I mean, he he yeah. he got a couple of podiums at Mid Ohio. He 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 was resilient. I mean, I the only thing I really enjoyed about <laughs> about those two races was watching how he he hung in there and hung in there. He started like seventh, eighth, ninth, whatever, and he would just knock them off, right? One after another, he'd knock them off, have good pit stops, which is rare for him, the way that his team usually does him. Knock them off, knock them off, and he ended up working his way up to third for the first race and second, I think, for the for the for the second race, and so it was just yeah. You, I, I, you saw his professionalism at, at pulling it out. I, I was very impressed that first race when he was the only one who started on uh, the the blacks, uh, the black tires, and you know, mm-hmm. the harder tires, and basically got out front and just started. Uh, you know, when everybody else was pitting to replace their soft tires, stayed out front, and then was just reading off laps that one one and a half seconds quicker than everybody else while he had that lead to build up mm-hmm. that cushion. I, uh, and just watching him clip that, I, I can't remember the. The corner it was probably two or three corners from the end was uh, like a red wall on the right hand side and the on onboard footage he he just seemed to be like monaco like just skimming yeah the edge of that with his tires so everybody else was leaving a couple of inches or an inch he was just like millimeters away from it lap after lap just putting in the lap so that was very impressive there is one thing about the Indy 500 we have to mention, and that is that Marco Andretti got the pole. And yeah, that, I, was, I th- that was nice to see. I think we all knew <laughs> that come race day that wasn't going to hold up. I had hope, right? I mean, he, yeah. he was he's kind of like when the when the Cinderella basketball team gets to the Final Four, and you're like, I know they're going to lose, but there is hope they could somehow win. You know, it's like you know that he's not going to it's not going to last forever. And in fact, it didn't even make it to turn one, did it? I mean, he was. I think Dixon blew past him before he even got to turn one because, as they kept pointing out, setting up for the race days and days later is not the same as setting up for the pole, and we understand that. But it was really nice, though, to see him go out there at the last attempt and put and bust out that pole lap. It was just, everybody for five minutes felt really good about Marco, and that was nice. Yeah, no, it was. It was nice to see. It was nice to see an Andretti name out out front again. Um, so yeah, it was, that was good to see. And then to have his dad and his granddad in the two-seater in front of him leading him to the, to the start was pretty cool as well, I think, to have the three Andretti's there. Yes, it was. That was cool. And I guess the other thing is the rookies have been mostly good this year. You mentioned a couple already, but um, this has been a good, good crop of kids come in. Last year's rookies and this year's rookies together have been a good bunch. Yeah. I, I mean, the other one that's uh, impressed me, I, I mentioned Renus VK earlier, um, is Alex Polo, the Spanish mm-hmm kid yeah. um, and not just because he's actually decided to live here in Austin that's got nothing to do with it um, <laughs> but uh, he's been uh, making some brave moves particularly on the, the road courses um, and he's getting up to speed on the ovals too but uh, he's again um, you know I think part of the thing is with the rookies nobody's told them the rules <laughs> so they're just doing stuff and yeah. they're doing you know um, they're, they're going around the outside unfortunately I think Palo was part of the reason that that gateway um, first accident got uh start accident got triggered because he was the one who like jumped out mm-hmm. and dragged the other ones with him but um uh, you know i think he he's been very impressive the other ones that impressed me has been the mclaren mclaren pairing of uh pato award and oliver askew together they have been good they uh, have, i think they're yeah. due a, i think award is due a win soon um, oh yes uh, definitely he looks really good i mean he really seems yeah. like a like he knows what he's doing out there and yeah. you got to give it to Takuma Sato. He's seventy-five years old in his wheelchair, but he's he won another <laughs> Indian five hundred. Yeah, he's been very he's, yeah, and he's he's been there on quite some of the other ovals too. Uh, he, mm-hmm. he was pretty strong at Gateway as well. Wasn't yes, he, he did. I believe he won the one I was at. Yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, I think he's uh, 
he's been good again this season. So, uh, but we're definitely in a. Tra- uh, it's interesting in both Formula One and IndyCar. I think both are at that uh, generational transition phase over the next few years. We've seen a you know a, yeah. a new crop coming in and some of the the uh, more established names uh, fading out. I, unfortunately, I think uh, Tony Kanaan just sort of faded out with a bit of a whimper, which after such a storied career was a bit of a shame yeah. to see. Just a bad year for him to have to go out when there's no fans really yeah. and all that. It's not his fault. Yeah. It's just kind of how it played yeah. out. So. But I will say I am pretty psyched to see Jimmy Johnson in IndyCar for the next two years. So Chip mm-hmm. Ganassi, that's going to be interesting. Uh, I don't know if they're going to run a third car or does that mean Rosenquist is out? I don't know. No, I think that everything I've heard is a third car. And, and I think I heard that like Lan- uh, Ray Hall, Lander- Letterman, Lanigan are thinking about a third car as well. So we could have more, more, more drivers next year. Cool. Cool. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Jimmy Johnson was at, uh, at the Coda Spring training um, and was uh, was certainly very open and enthusiastic with the conversations. Unfortunately, I couldn't get a quick interview with him, but uh, I'd exchanged a few words. But he seemed uh, very, very deep into conversation and was in the uh, certainly in Scott Dixon's pit a lot uh, mm-hmm. and uh, very enthusiastic about what he was seeing. So uh, look, looking forward to seeing him in uh, in IndyCar. Um, always been one of my favorite nascar drivers so uh, definitely uh, looking forward to that and i think it will bring hopefully bring some new eyes i mean uh, you know some maybe some of the nascar folks will you know uh, audience will start picking up on indycar as well couldn't hurt couldn't oh. hurt yeah and and you gotta say i mean give ganassi credit for all the talk that penske and andretti get as kind of being like the mercedes and ferrari of formula one Ganassi is right there. They are, I mean, they give Scott Dixon a car he's able to win races and championships with every week. And Rosenquist is not far off, usually. No, no, exactly. Exactly. So, so give still, them credit. Still can't get my head around a Ganassi car not being in target colors. I mean, as I was, yeah. that was <laughs> for a long time. Made them easy to spot. That was a long time ago, but uh, they, that's, that's always their traditional colors for me. Yeah. Um, absolutely. Well,. I guess that pretty much covers it. Any final thoughts? I guess we've got a few races coming up. There's just a few left for IndyCar. I think Dixon pretty much has it wrapped up. If New Garden swipes it now, I'm going to be mad. But you know what, though? If if New Garden swipes it now, that would be three for him at this early age, and he would be in a position to challenge uh, Dixon's five. So I'm kind of hoping Dixon gets his sixth. (laughs) Yeah, I'm hoping Dixon gets it. Um, I will say New Garden's a nice guy. Um, I actually... I keep doing one about spring, spring training. It wasn't this year. I think it was last year at spring training. I accidentally walked right into the middle of an interview he was doing with NBC. Oh. Um, <laughs> um, and uh, he was very nice um, in telling me to bugger off. He was very polite <laughs> about it. Um, well, he's a nice, nice guy. He's a nice guy. But to be honest, I don't know. I just have like zero interest in, in him as a driver or, or whatever. It's just like he wins and it's like, oh, okay. Well, that's it. He's He's so... He's such a Penske driver. He's so, you know, like like an yeah, android. Yeah, I know, but if you think about, you know, Penske, I think about Castro Neves. I think about yeah, that's... Power, um, Montoya. They've all got personalities, and New Garden's like, uh, he's okay. just an He's just an old Tennessee guy. I mean, I, it's yeah. the thing. I, I, there's not a driver in the car, except for Fruji, that I don't like. It's just that they're all very taciturn and don't really show a lot of personality with the exception of the ones you mentioned. And so New Garden, I just, 
there are other drivers I like better. I, I, I just I love Alexander Rossi's personality and that he's so if people think he's arrogant, he really he's just kind of quiet and almost shy in a way, and then very dry in his sense of humor. You know what I mean? He's just very yeah, kind of has a very European sense of humor. Which, yeah, and, and I like I appreciate that. I enjoy it as a nice change, and so I always get a kick out of him because people kind of take him at face value and don't really see beyond that. But I think people are now. He's got a lot of fans now. He didn't have many of that fans when when you and I became fans of him, but I think he does now, and. Um, so I would love to see a big rivalry between Rossi and Newgarden if they could both be good at the same time. It's just that they, you know, the vicissitudes yeah. of racing, they just haven't, there hasn't been a year yet that we had the, we had the great rossi Pagano rivalry brewing there at Indy last year, and that would have been cool if it kept on, but neither one of them has had a great year this year. So we just can't seem to get that big, you know, A versus B rivalry because it shifts so much in IndyCar. That's the downside to having lots of competition. It is. It is. Um, and rivalry really just, you know, a good rivalry does drive um, yeah. media and drives people to, to watch. But, yeah, so we've got, what, three three races left in IndyCar now. And as you said earlier, um, another eight F1 races. Mm-hmm. F1 we're going to be going through till the middle of December. <laughs> middle of December. So it's yeah, be, yeah, it's crazy. Yeah. All a lot, right. A lot, a lot more to uh, look forward to, and uh, oh. maybe in December we can uh, get back and talk about the second half of the season. Yes, so we will reconvene. Hopefully, if it's going to be as interesting as the first half, we're going to have a lot to talk about. Sure, we will reconvene and examine how things all played out. I imagine that we will be, I guess we'll just say, we'll be crowning uh, Lewis Hamilton and Scott Dixon, but you never know. I mean, I think Dixon, I think Lewis is a done deal, but we'll see what happens with Dixon. So. All right. Well, I think that'll do it for us for tonight. We had a good show, covered all the bases pretty well, covered all the tracks, and uh, and did it in uh, top speed. So let's wrap up for there, and we'll see you guys down the road. Thanks a bunch, Alan. Thanks, man. Fun as always. All right. This has been a White Rocket Entertainment production.